Amen. Well, this past week, I received a lot of texts and emails of encouragement about the message last Sunday, and I greatly appreciate that because it does encourage me. And as I tell people, I never let it go to my head. It's just like wind in my sails. It's like gas in my tank. It encourages me to continue to just want to teach and preach and do what God's called me to do. But of all of the texts and, uh, and letters and those kinds of things, emails of encouragement, there's one particular one I wanna share with you today. And it was a text that was sent before there was ever a smartphone. Uh, in fact, it was a text that was sent on parchment. And it was sent by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. And he was going through a, a, a very difficult time. He was going through a crisis situation in his life. And as I read it again this week, and as I looked at it, it encouraged my spirit, and I hope and pray and trust it'll encourage your spirit today as we look at it together. So you can find it in the New Testament. Uh, it's the letter Philippians, and we're going to begin a, a four-week, hopefully just a, a, a study, if you want to call it that, or a highlighted study of it to learn some great truths that will encourage us through this time of how to have confidence in the midst of crisis. And uh, as he especially addresses this in Philippians chapter one, but Paul had gone through a series of crisis events in his life. First of all, um, he uh, had been physically abused. He had threats against his life. He had survived a shipwreck in which he lost everything except his life. He was now in prison in the midst of a political time of turmoil because of, simply because of his religious beliefs, his faith in Christ. He was falsely accused as a troublemaker. He was separated from his homeland. He was separated from his family. He was separated from everything that was familiar with him, all the comforts of life. And yet in this time of crisis in prison, he sends this text out to say, you can have confidence in this life. So how is that? How could it be? What, what was his secret? Well, it's not really a secret because that's why he was sending this text out to say, I want you to know what I've learned. So let's take a look at it in Philippians chapter one, verses one through six. And I, again, I encourage you to open up your Bibles or the Bible app with the notes and the things that we've provided uh, for you online. But Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer and uh, of mine, making requests for all of you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So as I look at this, um, there's different things that we can draw out of it, but just five things this morning that I'd like for us to think about that are kind of like, again, they're not really secrets, but they might be hidden unless you just take a look at them and notice them. So I'm hoping to draw these out today. But the first secret or the first idea of being able to have confidence in a time of crisis is to know where to look. Where do you look 
when you go through a difficult time, where do you find your confidence? Where do you find your hope? So let's just take the pandemic right now and what we're going through since we're all experiencing that in one way or another, it's affecting all of us. But in the midst of all that, there are many people that are going through other times of crisis, different kinds of health issues, relational issues, marriage breakups, family difficulties, job situations, all of these things that have always happened before the pandemic hit are continuing to happen, but the pandemic kind of adds to the difficulty. But again, even if your life was going along just fine, this pandemic has disrupted it. So the question is, where are you looking for to find confidence? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that in the midst of all the crisis that he had gone through, he needed to find a confidence confidence that was in something more than what this world could give. He was looking at the one who created life, and he was finding his confidence in God as his creator in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. He mentions Christ four times in these first six verses, and if you continue to read through and, and count, depending on the translation that you have, but he mentions Christ 18 times in just chapter one alone of this text that he sent out on parchment to the church. So he's encouraging us that we need to know where to look for, first of all, if we're really going to have confidence in times of crisis. I'll probably address this a little more a little bit later in the message with a different point. But what about you right now? What are you looking for to find confidence in? Are you looking for that vaccine that is going to be created, that's going to somehow magically make all of this go away and cure everybody, I just caution you, what if there is no vaccine? Uh, medical science is wonderful and it's great, but they have vaccines for flu, and a lot of people don't even get a flu shot, and many people die of the flu, and it's a serious thing, so don't, don't go there ahead of me and think, oh, he's gonna go down this track. No, I'm saying flu is a very serious thing and it kills people. And COVID-19 is a very serious thing, and it kills people. But if your confidence is going to be to just wait till somehow they come up with a vaccine and then everything's gonna get better, watch out. You're looking for confidence in the wrong place. You better look higher than that. So what if there is no vaccine? Find a confidence in the one who gave you life and who loved you enough to die for you. Find your confidence in God and in Christ because he loves you. The second thing that we think about uh, uh, that draws out to me as I look at this in a time of crisis, Paul was thankful. And look at what he says in verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What he was saying is in the midst of everything that I could complain about, I'm choosing to give thanks for things that I'm glad for in my life. And that even in the midst of my pain, I still know are there and I can give thanks to God. Now, that leads into what he is thankful for. Look at what he says. I am thankful for the fellowship that I have with you in the gospel. Some translations say the partnership that I have with you in the gospel. Fellowship is more than just an acquaintance. It is something that has been developed over time. 
through developing a relationship with someone or a group of people, it involves an investment of yourself and an investment on their part back into you working together. Uh, it's a deep connection that you have with someone in relationship of shared values, shared purpose, shared mission, and shared support. And Paul was thankful because of the investment that he had made prior to this time of crisis in the lives of other people based on Jesus Christ. In fact, you can read about how he developed this relationship to the people here in Philippi that he's sending this text to, but, it, but again, it applies to all of us. Even though it was directed to them, God's Spirit has used that to not only speak to them, but to, to people down through the ages and to even us today, because the principles still remain intact. But on Paul's second missionary journey, he traveled through the city of Philippi, and as he preached Christ in those areas, God did some amazing things. And you could actually read about it in the book of Acts in your New Testament in chapter 16. And as a result of the investment and the sacrifice that Paul made in caring for people and wanting to, to, them to know about this Jesus who loves us and who gave his life on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He's God in the flesh. He conquered death. He ascended back up into heaven. He offers his Holy Spirit. As Paul invested of himself to tell people this good news so they could enter into a relationship with Christ themselves, they became a church and they began to support Paul in his ministry even after he left town. And so in fact, ever since that time, that's why Paul says, I appreciate what you've done from the first day until now. Because he was referring to that first time he had met him and the investments that had been made of time and service and energy and all of that. And then the mutual support they had for each other. They also, they not only supported him financially and sent him financial support after he left town, but they even sent a helper named Epaphroditus to help him for a while and to assist him. So here's the point, and, and this is what led Paul to, to say, this is what gives me confidence. I'm thankful for this because of the fellowship that we have together. And he says this in verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was talking about the work of Christ's Holy Spirit in each one of them. God is still working on every single one of us. His Holy Spirit continually is wanting us to develop and grow, and he wants us to be able to quiet ourselves enough from the busyness of life and all of the distractions to really pay attention to that relationship with him spiritually. And it can be hard sometimes because, again, it's not like we can look into the eyes of God, but we can look into the eyes of each other. And if Christ's Spirit is in you and Christ's Spirit is in me, and as I look at you and I see fruit coming out of your life, purpose, the things that you've done in your life that are honoring Christ, in a way I, I'm looking into the eyes of Christ because I can see his spirit in you and hopefully you can see his spirit in me. But the point is this, we need to be in that fellowship and there needs to be an investment of time in that. So right now, though we are going through a period of time where we're separated somewhat from each other, from, from what we used to be, and sometimes we're somewhat isolated, we need to continue to invest our time in each other to build these connections and these relationships, this fellowship. We do share our values, we share our belief, we share our faith in Christ. We need to be working together for the things of Christ's kingdom. 
And so I just want to encourage you, because over the years, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. <laughs> well, I, I kind of see where they're saying, and in a way, technically, you'd say, yes, you could accept Christ and not go to church to accept Christ to be forgiven of your sins, but I'll tell you this, if you've accepted Christ and he's in your life and you're not connected with other believers, you're definitely out of step with his will. You're definitely being rebellious and stubborn, and you're definitely not going to grow spiritually like you would if you would invest yourself in a fellowship of believers. And I speak on, on the authority of the word of God. It's like any relationship. That's like to say, well, I could be married, but I never have to be around my spouse. <laughs> yeah, that don't work. So it's the same way in our relationship with Christ, spiritually speaking. And like I say, it can be hard because we can't necessarily look Jesus in the eye in that way, but in our spirit, we can feel him. We can sense his spirit. It's a mystical thing. It's hard to understand. For, I know there's people watching online, and, and, but for, and I know you won't be able to see this, and don't put the cameras around, but I'm just saying, if you're here today and you understand what I'm saying, that, that this connection with Christ is something spiritual and you've experienced it in your spirit, could I just, would you lift your hand up? And again, okay, so cool, look around. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the experience that we have, and it's hard to explain, isn't it? <laughs> it's something you can feel and you know it, but man, it's just, it's hard to describe it. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about that he is thankful for because he had invested time in them and they had invested time back in him, and so he felt that fellowship. Here's the point. Even in the midst of his time of crisis and even though he couldn't be with them, he still felt it. And that's what we need to have right now through this time of COVID-19 and our distancing and all of those things is we need to make sure that we're continuing to invest in each other by praying for each other, encouraging each other, contacting each other. I miss so many of you, and, and it's good to see today, uh, even with everybody spread out, it looks like our attendance is up today at this service, and it encourages my heart. Again, not because um, I don't believe there's many, many people watching and listening and all of that, but it's just really good, isn't it, to look around and, and see other people to be together. And here's my frustration, though. In the midst of all of this, um, there's so many of you that I miss and I would love to talk to. But if I tried to call everybody in the church, even just take the time to call everybody to check in, there's, there's no way I could get that all done in the space of a week or a couple of weeks. And then you add to that the people through the midst of this that are still going through times of crisis. I've conducted funerals, weddings. I'm doing counseling with people one-on-one. -on -one. We're doing our continual work as a staff. And it's not just me, it's all of our staff. We're all busy doing things to try to continue to help us stay connected as best we can. Even tonight, we're going to have a quarterly church business meeting. We have to do it by Zoom on the internet, but we're doing the best we can to try to keep us connected as a body of believers. And so it, it takes all of us working together cooperatively rather than complaining. And I'm not saying there's a lot of complaining. Don't, don't read that into it. But I'm saying rather than complaining and criticizing, we need to cooperate. We need to pray for one another. We need to work together. And then that is one of the things that helps give us confidence in the midst of a time of crisis. So, well, let's go on and look here at verses 7 through 11. So the Apostle Paul goes on and he said, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains 
or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. See how he's talking about how this fellowship is helping him feel strength and confidence through his time of isolation in prison and his time of crisis. And then he goes on and he says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And again, in a weird way, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual or any of that stuff, but I can relate to that because it's what I just shared with you. I long to be able to see each one of you and to see you here and for us to be together again in the way that maybe it once was. That may not happen. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'm grateful for every single one of you. And it's because Christ has put that affection in my heart for you as a body of believers. And I believe you have that not only for me, but for each other, for our staff and everything. We need to continue to nurture that. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here as he goes on. Look at what he writes. He says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So don't just try to hang on till the crisis is over and then you'll start trying to love more or do whatever. No, in the midst of the crisis and the difficulty, we need to pray for each other. That's the third thing that will help us have confidence in the midst of our crisis time is to keep praying. And not only pray for yourself, but pray for other people. Because even though you're going through a difficult time, whether it's, it's an illness with COVID-19, a surgery or something that you're going through that's really traumatic, and certainly you need to pray for yourself, should pray for yourself, we should be praying for you. But I'm saying in the midst of your pain, pray for other people. Because it will help take your mind off of your troubles for even just a moment. And there's, there's something, a great spiritual dynamic in that that I can't explain it, but I, I believe God honors that even more. <laughs> that when in the midst of your pain, you're praying for someone else, I believe God's heart is touched with that. And he'll honor that prayer. In fact, isn't that what Jesus modeled for us? You've heard me say it many times. As he was nailed to the cross and he was in all that pain and agony and people were mocking him because they didn't believe that he was the son of God and is the son of God. They spat in his face, they did all these things. And as he's in the midst of his crisis and pain, he prayed for himself, but then he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, that's awesome. And we know that God honored that prayer because that's what he has done through Christ. He's forgiven all of us. If we'll put our trust in Christ, God says, I wanna honor the prayer of my son who prayed for you while you were spitting in his face and ignoring him and not believing in him. He loves you and I still love you. Trust him and you can be forgiven of your sin. But if you have a stubborn and a hard heart, then you're making the choice to reject that love and that grace. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So in the midst of our crisis and our frustrations with this, and trust me, I'm frustrated, I think we all are. We need to be praying that our love will abound more and more. We need to think sometimes before we speak. Now he goes on and he says, abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. God gives us freedom of choice, a free will. And so in the midst of our suffering and our difficulty and our crisis, we need to make sure that we are still reading God's word, connecting with him, learning from his word so that we can know how to rightly apply his word and his principles to our life in the middle of the crisis that we're in and the difficulty so that we can discern what's gonna be best. So I go back to what I mentioned earlier. What if, they're, what if they're not able to come up with a vaccine? Or I'll just put it this way, what if they do? What if tomorrow 
we have a great announcement on the news and it goes all over the world. A vaccine has been created, it's beginning in mass production and it will be made available to, in, to everyone. How long do you think it will be before everybody in the world or as many people as possible gets vaccinated? Even if they started tomorrow. Well, let's think of it this way. Every year they come up with flu vaccines, right? And the flu is a very serious thing. Many people die of the flu. COVID-19 is a very serious thing, and many people have died from COVID-19. Why is it that in the midst of all that, even though there are vaccines for the flu, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you get a flu shot every year? Even though you know the flu is serious, you could catch it and you could die, how many of you get a flu vaccine? Some do, but a lot of you don't. And this is my point. If we just as a church sit around and do nothing or do minimal stuff waiting for this miracle vaccine to come where everybody in the world is going to be vac vaccinated and then COVID-19 is gone, we're missing a huge opportunity to reach people for Christ in the middle of this. Church, we cannot sit around and wait till things get back to the way they were five months ago, six months ago, or the way we wish it could be. We've got to act now in this time of crisis, and we've got to stay on purpose. And we've got to stay on mission, and we've got to adjust, and we've got to find new ways of doing things. I just had a conversation this morning, and we'll be talking with you more about it probably at, tonight at the business meeting and in the future. But we're looking at, okay, we want to continue to social distance and do all those things that we're supposed to do because we want to be responsible. But boy, there's still more people that want to come and meet. So we're talking about now maybe adding a third service on Sunday morning. But we know that puts a stress on our volunteers. Uh, over the years, you know, I've had people say, how's come you don't do the service here? And how's come you don't do a service there? And how's come you don't do this and that and that and this? And it's just like, well, it takes volunteers to do all of that. And we're doing two services on Sunday morning now as it is. And they're giving of their time and they're sacrificing to be here. And it's like, okay, if you want us to have an extra service, then what are you going to do to pitch in and help us help that service to happen? See, it's real easy to point the finger and say, well, why doesn't the church do this? Why doesn't the church do that? And I just want to say, well, what are you doing to help us do that? Oh, I'm upsetting some people now. But I'm telling the truth, am I not? And I'm not angry about it. I'm just, I'm just silly enough to tell you the truth. And if you want to say, well, that Mark Eaton is a lazy pastor because he ought to be the one doing all that. Well, hey, I'll own that. That's okay. Because I'm being honest with you. There's only so much I can do. And there's only so much our staff can do. And there's only so much our current volunteers can do. And, and by the way, can we just show our appreciation for our volunteers for a moment? Can we just do that? Yes. <laughs> it's going to make me cry because they have no idea how much I appreciate them. So I hope you do too. But this is my point. We're all kind of stretched through this, but we've got to keep working and doing it. So we've all got to step up in some way and make some sacrifices. Because again, I would love to see more people here. And to do that, we may have to start a third service on Sunday morning. It means some times may have to be shifted. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. We're talking about options. Don't freak out about it. But again, I go back to this thing of saying, we can't wait till it gets back to the way it used to be. We, time is too precious. People are dying now and going off into eternity. We've got to do everything we can to continue to stay on task and on mission. 
And I'll lead into that in my next point in a moment. But the Apostle Paul says this. So in the midst of praying that your love may abound and knowledge and depth of insight may, may continue to increase so you can discern and tell right from wrong in the midst of a crazy culture what's best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. How can you be pure and blameless? Well, he says this in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's how you become righteous before God. It's not in everything that you do, but it's in your trust in Christ because he is our righteousness. When he gave his life on the cross of Calvary, he took on the curse your, of your sin, my sin, the, the sins of the world, which is death. He took that curse on himself, the righteous for the unrighteous. And if you put your trust in him, a great exchange is made. It's amazing. It's like a spiritual bank account that all of the riches and wealth and righteousness of Christ is credited to, to your corrupt, bankrupt account. And all of your corrupt debt, indebtedness and everything to God and all that is wiped away. And now you've got Christ's righteousness in your spiritual bank account. Start living like that. Start living like Christ would have you live. Appreciate what he's done for you. And so the Apostle Paul even writes about what that fruit of righteousness looks like in a person's life as a follower of Jesus. We're not perfect people, but as we learn to cooperate with Christ's spirit and we take him seriously because he's serious about his relationship with you and he just simply wants you to be serious about your relationship with him in return. If you'll be serious about that and open your life to him more fully and turn off the news and stop spending so much time with the things that wanna entertain your mind, and I get it, you, you just get tired of hearing everything, you just wanna escape. But one of the ways that we can escape is go to God, our refuge, and learn from him and his Holy Spirit and you'll find some real soul food spiritual food for your soul through his word and through his spirit. And if you'll do that, and if you'll begin to put his word into practice, you'll find that there's something that starts getting produced in your life. It's called the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. All of these things are fruits of the spirit. Now, just reverse those things and you'll know what's absolutely not of God. Hatred, aggravation, lack of self-control, do whatever feels good, doesn't matter, no faith. Just do the reverse of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control, all those things, and you'll know that's not of God and it's not of his spirit. Pretty simple, isn't it? So what is the fruit that's coming out of your life? And that'll tell you whether you're cooperating with Christ's spirit working in you or not. So keep praying for yourself, keep praying for others. And this is kind of the biggest point of this message today, what I'm about to say. And it's, it's, it's the fourth secret. And again, it's not really a secret, but this is absolutely the most important. And this is how I, this is how I word it or phrase it. We need to develop a purpose perspective. A purpose perspective, what does that mean? Well, perspective is your viewpoint. It's how you look at things. It's, it's your vantage point. I have a perspective up here looking at you. It's pretty cool, I get to see everybody. Unfortunately, your perspective is you look at me up here. <laughs> so, or online. But the point is we're all looking from a certain vantage point or perspective. And what God wants us to do is to begin to develop a perspective, a vantage point where we see ourselves in the purpose that God has created us for. We need to begin to develop a purpose, perspective in our life. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul says, and it's what he had, and it was one of the things that gave him confidence even when he went through tough times. Look at verses 12 through 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's saying, I'm going through a really tough time, and this is not easy, but I'm also, because he had developed a purpose perspective, he says, I'm also seeing how even in the midst of this tough time for me, God's using it. He's using it for his glory. He's using it to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says here in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I don't know exactly how this worked, but it was probably something like this. Paul was not the troublemaker that he was made out to be. He prayed for people. So while he was in prison, some of his prison guards, in fact, we see this in the book of Acts, that when a Roman guard was assigned to him, Paul would pray for him or, or that person. And that Roman guard that was charged with him actually began to respect Paul and kind of would be like, what in the world are you in jail for? What, what, why are you being arrested? I've heard you're a troublemaker, and Paul could tell them the truth. Hey, I know I've been accused of this, but actually I'm in prison because I believe in Jesus. Jesus, who's Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. He came into the world. We saw, he did many miracles. In fact, I used to persecute followers of Jesus, wanted them put to death, and then the Lord appeared to me personally, knocked me on my butt off of my horse, and said, why are you persecuting me? And I realized who he was, and I started following him, and Paul could tell his whole story and here's these Roman guards listening to all of this now. And they're, and they're like, wow, this is crazy. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I'm being put in prison just simply because I want to tell people about Jesus. And then those guards start thinking about it, and then their heart and life is open to Christ. In fact, we, again, we read about this in, in the New Testament, Paul and Silas, while they were in jail, there was an earthquake. The prison, the prison uh, doors were opened up because of the earthquake, and the Roman guard assumed that all the prisoners would flee, but Paul was the one told all the prisoners, no, no, don't flee, just stay here, stay where you are. Can you imagine that? And they actually listened to this guy. And so when the Roman jailer came to Paul, and, he, and he's like, because he was getting ready to kill himself because in, in the Roman guards, if you were charged with the prisoner and the prisoner escaped, it was your life for that life. And so the Roman guard was getting ready to kill himself and Paul goes, no, 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 stop, don't kill yourself. Yeah, but all the prisoners are going, no, they're not, they're here. I've encouraged them to stay. What? Why would you do that? And Paul was able to witness to that jailer and he accepted Christ, him and his whole family. You see, so again, that was a different time than this, but my point is this. In the midst of Paul's crisis, he was staying true to his purpose and God was using it to touch people's lives and they were accepting Christ. Paul had every reason to complain, but he knew God was working in and through every circumstance. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. One of the things that I sense God calling us to in this day and this time right now, and I feel him doing it in my spirit, is that we need to have a confidence to stand up and speak out for Jesus. And that's why in the midst of all this, we need to continue to show his love. Again, be respectful, be responsible. Here at church, you don't hear me say, oh, this COVID is silly. You all just come and we're gonna worship like we always did. No, we're gonna be respectful. We're going to, to follow as best we can what the authorities are trying to do for our good, but we're also gonna point out if we believe that that's outside the will of God, we have a, we have a higher authority 
that we need to answer to. But we're all working our way through this. And my point is this, and again, in the midst of this crisis, we need to have confidence. And our confidence isn't in ourselves or in humanity, it's in God. So jump on down with me to verse 19, because now we're really gonna see how he is, has developed this uh, purpose perspective. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers, See how prayer is mentioned again. I'm praying for you. I know you're praying for me. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is a purpose perspective. Paul is saying, I believe that God's working in and through this time, and so I wanna take advantage of that, and I believe because of the confidence he's given me and because you're praying for me, I believe I'm gonna get through this. I believe I'm gonna get out of jail and I'm gonna continue to have opportunity to serve him. But if not, I pray that whether I live or I die, if I get, if I get put to death here in prison, I just pray that Christ is gonna be exalted no matter what. Wow, that is a purpose perspective. So what about you as you go through this time of COVID? We're, again, we all have that a sense of a little bit in trepidation. We're, we're worried, we, we don't wanna get sick, we don't want our loved ones to, to get sick, but at the same time, we can't walk around in fear constantly. So we have to be a people of faith, and again, common sense, good sense, showing respect as best we can, following the guidelines, and at the same time, not just cower and, and shelter in place constantly all the time, and wait till it's over. To live as Christ, it's an opportunity to continue to serve him, but if you die and you're in Christ, well, I mean, you're gonna be better off anyway because in Christ you're in his presence and there is no more death, no more dying, no more tears, no more sorrow. How many of you are anxious to die? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> but again, if we really have a purpose perspective, death isn't going to scare us like it might otherwise. And, th and this is what Paul was exemplifying for us. And I don't know about you, but it gives me, even as I have read this again this week and as I speak on it today, it gives me confidence to know, yeah, Lord, I don't, it's not like I wanna die, but I'm, if, if that's what you have for me, then I'm gonna trust you. I wanna stay faithful even unto death. So nearing the end here, I just wanna uh, talk about uh, an African-American scientist who is, is an inspiration. His name is George Washington Carver. And since you know there's a lot of talk about racism and, and social injustice and, and racial injustice and all of these things, I just wanted to use an African-American today as uh, part of uh, the illustration uh, about like what Paul said about having a purpose and honoring Christ. So George Washington Carver, he was one of the most prominent black scientists of the early 20th century. He was born into slavery as a child, but after 
abolition uh, of slavery came in the United States, which there again, our government is not all bad because of this government. Uh, slavery was abolished by the amendments to the Constitution. I'm not gonna get into all that again, but what I'm saying is George Washington Carver, though he was born into slavery as a child, his, his owner, which sounds awful, doesn't it? But his owner, after slavery was abolished, instead of just kicking him out and saying, well, you're free now, you're on your own, he actually adopted George Washington Carver as his own son. Wow. Now you talk about racial justice, racial equality, and a Christian faith. Because it was Christ that made a difference in their lives. But anyway, uh, George uh, Washington Carver said this. I think you see the quote on the screen. Yeah, I've got a picture of him up there. He said, no individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. He's talking about a purpose perspective. This was written by a, or quoted or said by a black man who was born into slavery, but was set free, was adopted by a white man, was raised as his own child. Boy, that sure kind of sounds spiritual to me. Sounds like what God does for all of us. No matter what your background or whatever, he paid the price for you and you're not his slave. You're adopted as his child, his son, but we ought to in appreciation live a life of service for the one who purchased us and then set us free by his blood. We're his children now. Sure sounds like a heavenly concept. But George Washington Carver didn't, continually talk about how he was wronged and everything that was bad about this culture and his life, he said, God's given us a greater purpose. And so we need to, we need to make sure that we're making our life count. And Christ gives us that purpose. I encourage you to just get online and do a little research about his life. Go to Wikipedia or whatever, there's information. But I do want to read this just real quickly because it's pretty cool because it talks about the importance of children's ministry and the effect that kids can have on their friends. So George Washington Carver wrote a letter to Isabella Coleman in 1931, and the words to that letter, they, they, you can read it online, but I'll read it for you here real quick. This is his own words in his testimony about how he came to faith in God. I was just a mere boy when converted, hardly 10 years old. There isn't much of a story to it. God just came into my heart one afternoon while I was alone in the loft of our big barn while I was shelling corn to carry to the mill to be ground into meal. A dear little white boy, one of our neighbors about my age, came by one Saturday morning, and in talking and playing, he told me he was going to Sunday school tomorrow morning. I was eager to know what a Sunday school was. Kind of sad, isn't it? Didn't even know what Sunday school was. He said they sang hymns and prayed. I asked him what prayer was and what they said. I don't remember what he said, only I remember that as soon as he left, I climbed up into the loft, knelt down by a barrel of corn, and prayed as best I could. I do not remember what I said. I only recall that I felt so good that I prayed several times before I quit. My brother and myself were the only colored children in that neighborhood, and of course, we couldn't go to church or Sunday school or school of any kind. That was my simple conversion, and I have tried to keep the faith. Now, again, remember, he wrote that at a younger time. Now, he grew in his Christian faith. He come to understand more about what Christ had done for him. But this is an illustration of what the Scripture says in Romans, where the Apostle Paul says that when you pray to God, and you don't even, you're not even sure how to put it into words what you want to say, Christ's Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groanings that words can't express so that you can have confidence to know that God understands what your heart's trying to say, and, and he'll answer that prayer. That's pretty cool. 
So don't be afraid to pray. Keep praying. God knows your heart. God knew George Washington Carver's heart and look at the good that he brought out of him. I didn't mention about his scientific work, but what he did was he basically came up with an alternate crop for cotton because there, uh, cotton went through a period of time when it failed and they needed other crops. So he came up with a way that they could uh, grow peanuts and that's kind of, that was kind of one of his big things. You can read about it. I'm way oversimplifying it. George Washington Carver also, because of his scientific work uh, and studying the soils, uh, gave new ways that you can enrich the soil so that if you're planting crops several times in the same soil, how it, can, it doesn't wear the soil out. Anyway, the point is this, God used him in a mighty way. And in his later years, he went around promoting Tuskegee University, which is where he graduated from, and he, he promoted peanuts <laughs> and racial harmony. That's the thing I want you to hear. A young man who grew up as a slave ended up at the end of his life talking about racial harmony and the importance of it because he had been adopted by his slave owner but adopted as a child. There's things that we can learn from our history. Let's not destroy it. Let's not tear it down. Let's pretend it didn't happen. God provides opportunity in the midst of our crisis. And this is the fifth and final thing that I'm going to close with. And again, it's, these aren't maybe new revelations, but what we need to do is we need to understand the big picture in the midst of our suffering and difficulty. So the Apostle Paul writes about this. He says in verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Hey, my work's not done, he's saying. Yet why shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. He's like, these, these problems I'm going through are really wearing on me, and there's a part of it I just like it for it. I'll be over, and I'll just go be with Jesus. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. But then he goes on and he says, so he says, I really think that God's not done with me yet, so I think I'm gonna get through this. But then look at what he says in verse 27. But whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together for one faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. You see, it is important for us in times of crisis and opposition to stand for Christ because those who are opposed to the cause of Christ, they're revealing where they're at in their relationship with God. It will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Again, we're not saved by ourselves. We're saved by the work of God in us. So you better find your confidence in God and not yourself. And then he says this, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. What? Who wants, you with me? Who wants to suffer for Jesus? Oh, we all want to believe in him as long as it's comfortable and easy. But part of believing him is, is being all in and saying, no matter what, God, you suffered for me, Jesus. Why should I not be willing to suffer to honor you? I know I don't have to do it to get to heaven, but you love me enough to go through extreme abuse and agony and suffering so that I could be in relationship with you. And now I'm going to somehow refuse to suffer somewhat for a while just to honor you in return. 
Paul's being honest. He's saying, we've not only been called to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. There's going to be tough times. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be crisis. But have your confidence in him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. So again, in closing, those five, what are those five things to help us have confidence in times of crisis? Number one, know where to look. And it's not look at yourself or someone else. It's to look to God, our creator. Be thankful. Find something to be thankful for, even in the midst of your pain and agony and suffering. Keep praying for yourself and others. Again, just last night, I wasn't suffering a lot, but I woke up uncomfortable. You know, sometimes you just don't have a, a good night's sleep or whatever, you have crazy dreams, whatever. What I've done over the years and, and more frequently now is when I'm laying there and maybe un, uncomfortable, discomforted, whatever, instead of just thinking about that, I start thinking about people in the church and I pray for you. And I can't tell you who I've prayed for and who I haven't over the years, I'm just, but I want you to know that happens. It's, but what's really cool is what I've found is in the midst of my pain or suffering, and even when I've had times of flu and been really sick, I mean, yeah, it's hard to focus sometimes, but what, when you pray for someone else, again, it takes your mind off of your discomfort even for a moment. And God blesses that. So anyway, this is what happened when I woke up last night and couldn't sleep, it was uncomfortable. I began to pray for some people in the church that God put you on my mind. And before long, I fell asleep. Sorry. <laughs> but he, I know he heard the prayer, but my point is I, I found comfort in praying for others. So again, this is how we find confidence in the midst of crisis is keep praying for yourself, but pray for others. Develop a purpose, perspective, and then understand the big picture. God is working in ways that you and I don't understand, even through COVID-19 and all that we're going through. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder today in this text that you put in the spirit of Paul to encourage not only the people of Philippi, but to encourage all of us as your followers. Help us to remember these things, Lord, as we go through this time of crisis in general, but even when we go through our own time of struggling. Just call these things to mind and help us to continue to trust you, Lord Jesus. If there's anyone who has heard this message today and hasn't yet put their faith and their trust and their confidence in you, I pray right now, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing, you would just impress upon them, help them to know how much you love them and help them to place their confidence in you now, trusting you for forgiveness of sins, asking for you to come into their life, and then, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help all of us, Lord, to be filled with your Spirit that we might show the fruit of righteousness in the middle of a troubled time, that you would be glorified. And whether we live or we die, I pray that you will be glorified through our lives because of all that you've done and continue to do for us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.